The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. What's up, guys? How you doing? Man, I'm so much more awake than I was for the last service. I think I had four cups of coffee between the two, so if I fall over dead, just let me go to heaven. It's cool. Just let it be. Hey, a couple announcements really quick before we... Uh, before we get going here, uh, just, just a couple of things. Hey, so if you're new here, or even if you feel like, you know what, I just haven't really been able to plug into Heritage, or I want to know a little bit more about what Heritage is, and what we're about, and what our vision is as a church, um, you're going to want to stop immediately after the service, you're going to want to stop by our little coffee shop out there, and we're actually having a, a monthly thing called the Pastor's Coffee, and that just means that you guys are going to stop by, and Jeff's going to introduce a little bit about our church, tell you a little bit about our story, um, tell you ways you can get involved. And so that's a great place to meet some people, meet some of the pastors, meet some of the leaders. Um, so if you're interested in that, if you're new, if you want to be part of that, first thing, right after the, uh, we're literally going to jet out there right after the, the, um, the message uh, and take part in that. A few other things, if you guys got a yellow sheet, for all of you that are colorblind, uh, it's probably the only sheet you got, so no worries. If it's gray, that's fine. Um, so... <laughs> Um, if you got that, there's some information on there on some things you guys are going to want to know. It's kind of, we're moving into the holiday season, which means that uh, there's all kinds of ministry opportunities that you guys are going to want to get involved in, all kinds of ways for us to love on our community, to outreach to those that are in need this year. So uh, three different things in specific that I'll highlight. Joys and Toys is a fantastic ministry. Uh, it's a gift for On Track, and you guys might have saw that when you came in. There's a Christmas tree and some, some Christmas stuff out there. You can go out and talk to uh, Jess Winnie about that. Uh, there is Rogue Valley Mobile Pack, which is coming up, information in your yellow sheet, and then also the Holiday Food Baskets, an opportunity to feed some people this year and to bless them with some holiday food. So if you're interested in getting into our community a little bit, serving and loving on Medford, um, check all that stuff out. Uh, but I'm going to ask you guys to stand. I know you just sat down. It's super annoying when people make you sit and stand, but got to burn those calories from the donuts, right? Book of Colossians, you guys got it? Colossians chapter one. Turn to your neighbor real quick, would you, and say, you need vision. Don't be shy. Now turn, turn, turn to your other neighbor now. Turn to your other neighbor now and say, I need vision. Perfect. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Here we go. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See if I can get this right. This is the word of God? No, what do I say, Jeff? Do I do, is it, is that right? This is the word of the Lord. Hey, that's better than, that's, that's the bomb. I gotta say, that's the best you guys have done in a while. And you guys have been really bad at that, I gotta say. But <laughs> I'm the worship leader, so I gotta get you guys excited. Um, let's pray, guys. Uh, in fact, would you take 20 seconds and just on your own, just invite the Lord to speak to you this morning. Something happens when you engage the Lord personally. And so take 20 seconds, invite the Lord to speak to you this morning.
most high God in heaven, we need vision this morning. God, we need you to come into this room by your Holy Spirit and manifest Christ onto our hearts and minds in such a way that gives us vision. God, would you push me out of the way and exalt your son. Press Jesus onto our hearts, we pray. Make much of your son, Christ. Exalt him in this room, we pray. And may clarity and purpose and mission and vision come as a byproduct of you, Christ, being supreme in our lives. We invite you, Holy Spirit, we invite you, Jesus, to prophesy to us this morning. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab a seat, guys. So I'm doing two verses this morning, and here's why. Uh, we've been doing this service. This uh, we've been doing this this uh, series on the midweek service on Wednesday nights, which you guys should come out to, um, called the Old Testament Overview. And literally, I have to teach an entire book of the Bible in like 40 minutes, which is really hard. Okay, uh, it's stressing me out. I'm getting gray hair. Um, I'm not even 30 yet. No, it's really it's really hard. It's been really good. But when Jeff asked me to preach this Sunday, I was like, I'm doing two verses. That's it. <laughs> Because I've just been trying to digest so much scripture and like put it in a, basically a smoothie cup and give it in an edible way that it's just really, to me, I just wanted to cue in on just two verses. So if you guys um, aren't aware, we just launched a new series last week into the book of Colossians. We're working our way through the New Testament, and this is really only the second week. Um, but verses 9 and 10 are what we're going to look at this morning. So I'm going to read you guys something really quick. This is an, but from a, an excerpt from an article published by The Economist. Can we put that up? says this, quote, the predictions sounded like promises. In the future, working hours would be short and vacations long. Our grandchildren, reckoned John Maynard Canis in 1930, would work around three hours a day and probably only by choice. Economic progress and technological advances had already shrunk working hours considerably by his day and there was no reason to believe this trend would not continue. Whizzy cars and ever more time-saving tools and appliances guaranteed more speed and less drudgery in all parts of life. Social psychologists began to fret. Whatever would we do with all this free time? <laughs> okay, now if you didn't understand that, um, essentially this is taken from someone in the 1930s who was expressing their concern about probably our generation. Okay, in the future, in our millennial uh, sort of uh, generation that we live in, what in the world are they going to do with all their time? Because you see, in the 30s, it was sort of the beginning of the Industrial Revolution when uh, our economy was being built around time-saving instruments, washing machines, chainsaws, the hot pocket, right? I mean, seriously, what are we doing with all the time that we were spending making food when we put a hot pocket? Where does that time go? I mean, it's like two minutes, dang, you're done. Um, a lot of our economy is built around, and a lot of our country is built around making things to make life easier, okay? You don't have to go boil water anymore. You don't have to go kill your food and, and cook it and skin it anymore, even though everyone in Medford still does. Um, you don't have to do that, 
okay? You just, you, you put a hot pocket in the microwave. I mean, like, this is crazy. It's this crazy thing. Our, our entire world is built around time saving. And they were really worried back in the 30s, like, man, what are our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren going to do with all of this time? What are you guys doing with all your time? It's, it's, it's so funny to me, as a pastor, I have these conversations with people all the time that are kind of like light, quick passing conversations because I'm running to do something. I'm like, hey man, how are you? What's going on? What's new? And or really just how are you? And, and the response is always the same. I'm so busy. It's a busy season. And I say the same thing. It's like the mantra of our generation, okay? Busyness. Where is all of that time? Where's all the time that we're supposed to have been saving? We are so busy. I feel sometimes like my life is like whack-a-mole. You guys remember that game? Whack-a-mole? Okay, a mole pops up, no problem. Boom, gone. Okay, another one pops up, boom, got it, no problem. In life, these things just kind of pop up that you need to take care of, that you need to deal with. Okay, DMV, I just did that. Register in my car. Okay, got it. Boom. Oh, man, I'm starting to gain, so I need to get out and run. Exercise. Okay, exercise. Boom. Man, I've not been in the Word. I haven't been really spending time with Jesus. I better get out my devotional book. Okay, boom. Nail that one down. But then they start coming faster. And you're like trying to hit them as fast as you can. At some point, you know, you're just scraping the mallet across the top, like trying to, because you realize there's no physically tangible way to actually hit all of these whack-a-moles down. And at some point, you just give up, right? That's what life feels like for me. Anyone else feel, yeah, you're lying if you didn't raise your hand, okay? I know, I know, it's true. That's how life is. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Are you living your life, or is your life living you? Are you living your life or is your life living you? The problem I don't believe is that we're too busy. I actually don't think that's the issue. I think the issue for us today as Christians in this era is primarily that we do not have vision. It's what, that we do not have vision. It's not that we're too busy. It's not that we're doing too much. It's that we do not have vision. Let me unpack that a little bit for you. Um, here's why vision is important, okay? Here's why vision is crucial. And here's why I had you turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you need vision. I need vision. Here's why. Number one, because life is a vacuum, okay? Life is filled constantly, no matter what. It's filled. Um, we went to the beach yesterday, and I was getting, getting to watch my, my three-year-old daughter now. She's turned three, which is crazy. Um, play in the sand and get all wet and I was watching her and I was just reminding or just being reminded of when I was a kid and how I would just love to dig holes in the sand um I just dig I just dug holes it's what I did when I was a kid um and uh when I would go to the beach I would try to dig a hole but how many of you guys have tried to dig a hole in the sand it's terrible especially in the dry sand right not only is your brother kicking you know sand into your into your hole uh at the same time but also the sand is just falling back in you can't get any headway the more you dig the more the sand falls back in and i think this is kind of how we feel in life life is a vacuum it will be filled with things no matter what and not everything is always a bad thing in fact life oftentimes is filled with really good things right programs i mean church is like Church is the epitome of things to fill your life, right? You could go to this program and that program and that program, and then you could go to this after-school program, and then you could volunteer at that, and then you could go to that sports, and then you could go hang out with your friends, and then you could, all of these things. And then when we have kids, we don't really get to, to decide, right? I mean, our life is just filled with our kids, and that's just the reality. Running them to this, running them to that, picking them up from this, picking them up from that, doctor's appointments, you name it. Life is a vacuum. It fills itself, and vision is the metric by which to measure whether something belongs in our life or not. 
Vision is imperative because it's a metric to gauge the value of something that inserts itself into our life. Okay? Whether it's a good thing or not, we need vision. Vision is a filter by which to, to, to decide whether something belongs in our life or not. And, and, and even more than that, vision is an anchor that holds us fast to what is most important. Because let's be honest, a lot of the good things in our life are good things, but a lot of times they get in the way of the best things. They get in the way of the best things. The other reason vision is important is because of this. Without vision, we go nowhere. Okay? Without vision, we go nowhere. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. Solomon said it. He said, where there is no vision, the people perish. Without vision, without foresight, without an understanding of where we're trying to go, you perish. Here's what happens. It's like when you're, you're trudging through the woods and there's no trail. You ever done that? Uh, last uh, summer or two summers ago, I went backpacking and we lost the trail. It just got overgrown by weeds and we were just trying to find our way back to get the trail. And what's really funny about that is you know what direction you need to go. Okay, I need to go east. I'm going to try to go east. But do you end up going east? No. Because every five minutes, there's an obstacle in your way, and you have to make a decision. I'm not, I, I have to go around this obstacle, I have to find a different way, so you find a different way, and then another obstacle comes, and you find another way around that. The reality of life is, is that you'll always take the easiest way. So as life brings obstacles in, if you don't have vision, you're just going to find your way around them. If you're not anchored to what you know you're trying to get to, ultimately, then all, every single obstacle will just simply turn you in a direction that does not end up where you want to be. Vision is crucial. Your motor and your boat is only as good as your rudder. And your rudder is only as good as your compass. And your compass is only as good as your map. And your map is only as good as your destination, right? It's so crucial, so important. P.K. Bernard, he said this, he said, a man without a vision is a man without a future. And this is beautiful. He says, a man without a future will always return to his past. In other words, if you don't have something forcing you out of what's most comfortable and most easy in that moment, you will always revert to what you know. You will always go back to what is most comfortable and what is most easy. And a life lived without vision is a life that goes nowhere. Because you'll just do what you do what you do. You'll just do what is normal and what is comfortable and what is regular for you. So now, looking at Colossians, I want to ask the question, what is vision? What is vision? And I think Paul really answers this for us. So take a look at it really quick, looking at verse 9 in chapter 1. Again, it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And pause right there. What, what is Paul saying? One thing I love about Paul's epistles is you start to study them. An epistle, by the way, is just a letter uh, written by uh, Paul to this church. All of his epistles, Romans, Corinthians, almost all of them, he always includes a little bit of a window into his prayer life for them. He says, hey, I'm praying for you, and here's what I'm praying. Okay, he does it specifically uh, with Romans, with First Corinthians, with Ephesians, with Philippians, and with Colossians. He says, I'm thankful for you, and I'm praying for you, and here's what I'm praying for you. So what we have is we have a little window, a little glimpse into what Paul thought was the most important thing for the Colossians to own. What Paul thought was the most important thing for the Colossians to understand. And I love what he asks for them for. He says this specifically. He says, I pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
What is Paul asking for, for them? Vision. He's asking for vision. He's saying, I pray for you that you would know God's will, that you would know why you're here, where you're going, what you're here for. Because if you know God's will, he'll go on to say these things will happen. So we really have a glimpse here in verse 9 of chapter 1 of Colossians. We have a glimpse into Paul's definition of vision, if you will. Okay? Now, just really quick, five things. If you're a note taker and you like writing down lists, here you go. Five things. Uh, That's how I am. I like writing things in lists. Um, Here's five things quickly about vision taken from what Paul calls it, being filled with the knowledge of his will. Number one, vision is not something you create, it's something you find, okay? It's not something you create, it's something that you find. Some of my favorite types of subjects when it comes to knowledge and things to learn are not the subjects like philosophy and art and things like that, where they're sort of subjective, like I can, I can say, you know, that's a tree, and you could say it's not, but I can say what well, I made it, so it's a tree, you know, I don't, I don't really understand that philosophy, a lot of that stuff is, is muddy. Some of my favorite things to learn about are things that aren't d- created, they're discovered, okay? We have, we have a, a guy that goes here, Doug Gardner, uh, one of our, our leaders on the setup crews, um, fantastic guy, I was having a conversation with him one time, and he's the head of the, the math department over at the college, and he said, here's why I love math, he said, it's because it's not something that we invent, it's something that we dug up, I thought that was profound, okay? Two plus two is always equaled four, okay? It's always been that way. And, and it's not that mankind came along and said, you know what, I think I'll say two plus two equals four. Mankind came along and dug up that reality, that truth. Same thing with science. We didn't invent the light bulb. We discovered the light bulb. We didn't invent electricity. We discovered electricity. These things already existed and we stumbled into them. And when we stumbled into, stumbled into them, it created a bigger glimpse of how our world works, wasn't that long ago that we thought we were the center of the universe, right? What happened? We realized we weren't, and it broadened our view and our perspective and our vision. In the same regard, theology is not something that you make up. Theology is something that you discover. We're not saying, here's how we feel God is, or here's how I think God is, even though our culture loves to say things like, I feel or I think. We base almost all of our decisions off stupid things like that, I feel or I think. But God says it's not about what you feel or what you think. Theology is knowing who I am. I am discovered. And listen, the same is true for vision. Your vision as a Christian is not created by you. It's discovered by you. You are supposed to find it, okay? And it's not some big cosmic thing that you have to find. It's not like there's a yellow line somewhere on a road that you stumble on. You're like, oh, there's my vision. Like, here it is. Now I'm in God's plan for me. It's not it, That's the Western version of vision. The Western version of vision is simply this, that I am the the star of my story. The story is about me, and finding my vision is finding what's best for me and finding what I was made to do, and I, 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 I. You gotta remove that Western thinking when you wanna understand what what the vision is for a Christian. So, So point number two is, vision is exchanging your narrative for God's narrative. Vision is exchanging your narrative for God's narrative. If you're not finding clarity in your life right now, it very well could be because you're trying to live in your narrative instead of choosing to step into God's narrative. As Christians, we are dead to our narrative 
and reborn into a new narrative. And that's not our story. It's his story. Vision is realizing that, discovering that, and walking in that. The word for filled, Paul prays that you would be filled with the knowledge, is pleureo, the Greek word, and it simply means filled completely or totally controlled. It means that you are filled to the point where that thing controls you. And we don't like to be controlled in the West, do we? We like to be in control. But the reality of what Paul is praying for them for is that they would step into a bigger vision than themselves and that that vision would control them. Living for something bigger than yourself. You are not the star of your movie. You're not the screenwriter of your movie. You're not the director of your movie. You may not even be the guy making the fake thunder sounds in the back. Do they still do that with the big metal thing? No? You're probably the guy screwing in the light bulb. And you may not even make it on the credits because it's not your story. It's God's. Vision starts with that understanding. Say, Sam, that sounds terrible. It's not. Because the fullness of joy is found in him, not in you. Go live for yourself. Tell me how that works out. I think we've all done it for a while, and it's not great. It's terrible. Paul didn't see his calling to the Gentiles as a personal singular calling. When he talks about his calling, his mission to go to the Gentiles and to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, he doesn't talk about it like this is just my thing. He talks about partnership. He talks about unity. We're all part of something bigger than ourselves, and there's freedom and clarity and vision when you accept that. I don't live for me, I live for something bigger. What really interests me sometimes looking at history is wartime generations. Generations that lived in a time where they had and were forced to live something for something bigger than themselves. Our generation is funny because we really have nothing to do other than live for ourselves. But the generation of World War II is a very different perspective. Because it didn't just take soldiers, it didn't just take military to win World War II. It took everybody. It took rubber drives. It took women losing their husbands. It took children losing their fathers for the greater good of this nation. Okay? That is a different mentality. That you live for something other than yourself. And listen, guys, that is vision. That is vision. And number three, on that note, number three, vision is stepping into the kingdom partnership that God has called you to. The kingdom partnership that God has called you to. Let me explain that. In the garden, God created Adam. And he did not create Adam for living a life of leisure. Did you know that work actually came before the fall? I know you think your job is the curse, but it's not, okay? It's been cursed. It's been fallen because of sin. But work came before the fall. See, God made Adam with great purpose and great intentionality. And that purpose and that intentionality was that Adam, and I'm gonna use a word that might make you feel uncomfortable, but we can talk about it later if it bothers you. God created Adam to partner with him. Now, that doesn't put Adam on the same playing field. God is sovereign over Adam. But God's intention for Adam and the way that God constructed Adam's DNA was that Adam would thrive in a position of partnership with God's overall vision. God created a garden. A garden is raw, uncultured material. And he put Adam in that garden to garden it, to turn it into what we see in Revelation and in heaven, which is a city. 
So in your DNA, there is something that comes alive when you step out of your own narrative and step into God's narrative and say, I'm not just going to be part of it, I'm going to take part in it. I'm going to actually grab a shovel and I'm gonna begin to do what Adam started and failed at and I'm gonna step into what Jesus came in and succeeded at. There is vision to be found in kingdom partnership saying, I am part of a bigger story and I'm ready to get to work. It's interesting to me right now in our politically charged environment, okay, that you see these two opposing worldviews, not only in America, but really all over the place, whether it's in Britain, all over the place in our world. These two worldviews are the nationalist worldview and the globalist worldview. If you're not familiar with that, nationalist just means that we need to be about us, we need to be about us for all, we need to become strong. Um, some may say so that we can help others or whatever the reason is, but we need to be internally focused, we need to be about us. The globalists would say, no, we need to be about the whole world, we need to be about making the whole world into one big unit. Um, and there's all kinds of problems with both of them because they're both fallen. But the funny thing is, is that human beings, I swear, we're like drawn to one or the other, okay? There's a reason that half of our country buys into that and the other half doesn't. Because we are drawn to both because both in some ways resemble the true kingdom. Jesus is calling you to be a nationalist, not of America necessarily and not primarily. He's calling you to be a nationalist of the kingdom, Christ's kingdom. And you will come alive when you step into taking ownership of his kingdom, saying, I'm part of this story. At the same time, the mission of the church is the world. We're to step out of our kingdom on mission. The people that we think we're warring against are the mission field. The globe is the mission field. That is the, they are the mission. But it's interesting to me that we come alive when we are fighting for our nation. But just make sure it's the right nation. Make sure it's the right kingdom and make sure that you're on the right mission. John 15, 15, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. Of all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You know what that is? That's Jesus inviting the disciples to say, hey, do this with me. Yes, I'm God. Yes, I'm eternal. Yes, you're finite. But I, I'm not calling you servants anymore. I'm calling you friends. And you know what his reason for that is? It's because I've told you all that I know from the Father. I've shared with you the knowledge of my calling, and I'm inviting you, Jesus would say, heritage, I'm inviting you into my vision. Jesus would say, come with me, leave your nets, and step into my vision, my calling, because that's the only true vision you'll find in life. And that same calling stands for us. Number four, vision is a change of economics. If you look at the, the text that we're looking at, he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all, what, spiritual wisdom and understanding. So it's as if Paul is saying, here's what I'm praying for. I'm praying that you would, you would know the will of God. But the way that you're gonna know the will of God is through or rooted in we're grounded in or built upon spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. Well, what is spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding? It's seeing things through different eyes. Helen Keller famously said, the girl that can, couldn't uh, see and couldn't hear, um, she, she famously said that um, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. 
In other words, <laughs> in other words, vision is not just seeing, it's seeing rightly. Just because you have eyes doesn't mean that you see. And what spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding is, it doesn't mean that you walk around with, you know, a cloak on, you know, and, and you say spiritual things. Spiritual wisdom is seeing through the natural into the supernatural and basing your calling and basing your life and basing your mission off bigger things than what you see around you. Understanding that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and that th this life is but a breath, and we will spend eternity in God. That is spiritual insight. And those things should shape our vision. But that only comes, those eyes only come when you begin to see Jesus as more valuable than your life. I'll give you a few quick examples. The rich young ruler, you guys are familiar with that story. This young man, this pious man, this affluent man, probably a charismatic man, comes up to Jesus and he asks him the question, how do I inherit eternal life? And they have sort of this discourse where Jesus, you know, points him to the law and different things. Uh, but at the end, Jesus says, okay, so you've lived according to the law. Here's one thing that you lack. Go sell everything that you have, which was probably a lot. Go sell everything you have and come follow me. And what Jesus was doing in that moment was an invitation to vision. He said, I've opened your eyes to see right now in this moment that I, Jesus, am worth more than your life. But he went home sorrowful. Why? Because he couldn't see. He couldn't see that Jesus was the greatest treasure, that Jesus, that Jesus was inviting him to be the richest man in the world, to inherit Jesus as his treasure rather than his stuff. He was blind. He was blinded by a wrong economic system. In his mind, his stuff, his possessions, his position was more valuable than Christ and he went away because he had no vision. Another example is the man who's plowing the field, right? Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a man plowing a field. He's probably poor. He probably doesn't have a lot of stuff. He hits a treasure in the ground and it's such a magnanimous treasure that it instantly changes the way he views everything. 10 minutes ago, his mud hut was the most important thing in the world. Now he's found this treasure and his mud hut matters not. Nothing matters other than that treasure. So he goes home and he sells everything. Let me tell you what that is. That's vision. Vision starts with valuing Christ above all things. When you see him as most valuable, everything else will be in its rightful place. That's how it works. Paul prayed this to the Ephesians. He said that the eyes of your hearts, again, praying for them, that the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The word for knowledge that Paul prays for, he says, I want you to have spiritual knowledge. It's epignosis. Now, gnosis was the Greek word for knowledge, but Paul takes it a little further. He puts epi in front of it, which sort of... Um, widens the view of it. It's not just knowledge, it's depth of knowledge. It's looking past your circumstances. It's looking into the eternal and basing your life off of bigger things than what you see. That's what he's praying for. And unlike worldly knowledge that cannot change your heart but only puffs you up, spiritual understanding demands life transformation. It will change your life. When you pull back the curtain and you see what really matters in life and what is really internal, it will affect you. It will change the way that you live your life. And number five, vision activates faith and action. Look at verse 10, would you? 
So after Paul prays that they would be filled with knowledge and spiritual and wisdom and understanding, he says in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. What he's saying is, if you have vision, your life will change. He doesn't pray that they would do these things. He prays that they would have vision so that they would do those things. Does that make sense? He doesn't pray that they would walk worthy. He doesn't pray that they would bear fruit. He doesn't pray that they would be more holy. He doesn't pray that they, he prays that they would know God and know his will. And naturally, by knowing God, our life will change. Listen, vision activates faith and action. If you're not doing things for God, you're probably not understanding what God has done for you. Now, we can do things for God for wrong motives all the time. But the way that God designed the gospel was that it would move us to works, that it would transform us. Because he's loved us, we want to love others. He prays verse nine to get verse 10. He doesn't pray verse 10 to get verse nine. There is a sequence I know we say that over and over and over and over again from the pulpit, but guys, nothing matters more. We could all be in here doing lots of works and lots of things for the church and be going to hell and be dead and dry. God wants Christians that are immersed and soaked in the gospel like sponges that can be wrung out for his glory. It starts with knowing him. It starts with knowing his will. You will not be useful to the kingdom if you do not believe that you are saved. You'll be a dead works. So that's what vision is, but the next kind of question is, well, how do you get it? <laughs> okay, Sam, I get it. I need vision. I need clarity. I need to understand how I should be living my life, but how do I attain vision? Go ahead and throw this verse up. You guys all know this verse, you've heard it before, but I have to tell you, we need to meditate on this verse. This is the most, as far as I'm concerned, one of the most profound verses concerning vision in all the Bible. And Jesus says simply this, he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all things will be added unto you. That is the recipe for vision. That is the recipe for figuring out who you are and what you should be doing in your life. I want to illustrate this a little bit with something uh, that, that hopefully will make it make a little bit more sense. This is you guys, okay? You guys are, as the Bible says, not me, a vessel, okay? You are an earthly vessel inhabited by an eternal spirit living inside of here. But here's the thing about vessels. You're limited, right? This can only hold so much. Now, you may think that you're not, and you may act like you're not, and you may live like you're not, but the reality is you are a limited vessel. You can only do so much in your life. You can only do so much for your kids. You can only do so much for your wife. You can only do so much for the Lord, and you can only do so much for yourself. At some point, you're tapped out. And let me kind of guess that I'm probably right on this. Most of you are already tapped out. You feel like, man, I come here and I get a sermon that tells me that I should be doing this or be doing that, and I don't feel like I have room. How can I serve? 
I don't have time to serve. I'm too busy living my life. My life is so full. My life is so busy. And you're thinking, oh, this is the part where Sam says I need to stop doing everything so that I can come serve at church. No. Not what I'm saying. But this is you. You are limited. <laughs> this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. No. This, <laughs> that's a different analogy. Sorry. This is, this is what your life looks like. It's full. And, and, and all of these little grains in here are the things that make up the fullness of your life. They seem small, they seem insignificant, but when you put them all together, it fills your vessel. Brushing your teeth in the morning, changing your kid's diaper, going to college, going to work, dropping your kids off at school, volunteering at church, whatever. The list goes on, and all of us have a different vessel that is filled with millions and millions of little things that leave us with no room left. But then we see in the gospel this calling as Christians to step into God's narrative and to adopt a kingdom mission, right? But here's the thing about kingdom mission and vision is it's kind of big, seemingly unattainable, and clunky. How in the world am I supposed to do this? So what you do is you take one and you try to fit it in. Press it down and you twist it, and it kind of it kind of fits. Now, let me say, I'm not talking about Christian things. I'm talking about calling. I'm not talking about, you know, volunteer. I mean, I'm talking about calling, kingdom work. You, sh- you shove it in there, it kind of fits. And then you put another one in there, and you're completely out of room. So y- you work at it, you twist at it. Okay, I can make it fit, I can make it work, and you, you shove it in there before you realize. There's no possible, tangible, physical way that I'm going to get these rocks into this thing. It's just not going to happen. So what happens? You get burned out. You get frustrated. You walk in guilt. You walk in shame. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a Christian. I'm not serving. I'm not walking in vision. Uh, My life is so busy. I feel tired. I feel exhausted. Nothing is recharging me. I'm tired at the end of the day, and I don't know why, and it just doesn't make sense. But what if I mean, let's be honest, okay? I know you guys probably have seen this before, but th- does it look like these are gonna fit in here? <laughs> like, it doesn't. Jeff and I were just talking about it a second ago. He's like, every, every time I see that analogy, I think, there's no way that's gonna fit in there. But here's the reality of what Jesus said. If you seek first the kingdom of God, and again, I'm not talking about just doing Christian-y things. I'm talking about you put your calling first. Everything fits. If I, if I dropped this, I was going to make a joke about how we're broken vessels. But it all fits, except for the little tiny bit that fell. But Now, here's the beautiful thing about this, okay? I know this seems cheesy, but um, somebody did this at a camp like seven years ago, and I don't remember the teaching. I remember this, okay? Here's the beautiful thing about this. Did I have to get rid of anything? No. I'm not telling you guys like, hey, you have, to, you have to stop having friends. You have to stop having relationships uh, to serve Jesus, you know. I mean, he may call you to do that if he does, okay. 
But that's not what I'm saying. And that's not what he's saying when he says, seek you first the kingdom of God. What he's saying is that you can still have a life as a Christian. He's not calling you to go shave the top of your head in a circle and go live on a Greek island uh, and hit yourself with a board every five minutes uh, like that one movie. Uh, He's not calling, that's not necessarily what he's calling us to as Christians. He's saying you get to still have a life. You get to still coach T-ball and have friends and have family and have career and have all of these things. There's nothing wrong with those things. In fact, they'll all fit, but they only fit when the kingdom is first. If the kingdom is not first, you will get burned out. It has to fit like this. And the beautiful part about this is when the kingdom is first, you're no longer trying to fit mission into vision. Vision naturally fits into mission. I said that wrong. You no longer have to cram calling into your life because calling finds its way into your life. Does that make sense? It's not, I can't stop hanging out with my friends because now I'm a Christian. No, it's like, now I get to bring my gospel, get to bring my Christianity, get to bring my calling, get to bring my mission into my friendships, into the t-ball I coach, into whatever it is, the program I'm involved in, into the sport that I like, into the hobby that I love. It becomes kingdom work because your perspective changes. I was running uh, a few days ago with some guys that I don't really know. It was just a running group that I know through a mutual friend, and, and a lot of them are non-Christians, but one of them was a Christian, and we were running and having a conversation about the Lord, and towards the end, he kind of pulls me aside, and he's like, hey man, I just want you to know, like, and I really appreciated his heart. It was really, it was good. He said, hey man, I just want you to know, you don't, don't feel like you have to be the pastor. You know, he's like, you're, you're good, and you can just, you can like be yourself here. And I was like, yeah, thanks man, I, I appreciate that. But I was so thankful for God's grace to be able to say in that moment, you know what, dude? I'm not. I'm not. And he's like, yeah, but I know, I know some of the pastors that at my church feel really like this strain to, to be on all the time. I'm like, I don't feel that. My church doesn't expect that of me. My God doesn't expect that of me. I just, I get to be me all the time. Flawed and all. Stupid puns and all. I, you know, I just, I get to be me. And that's the calling to be a Christian, is to still be you, but for the kingdom to be first and everything to fit in. And I was just so thankful for the grace of God that I can honestly say that. Not to say that I'm never fake or not to say that I'm never um, two people. I, we're all working towards that. But, but to say, thank you, God, that the gospel and the call to the gospel is not a call to be two people. It's a call to be one person and to invite mission into your life but life has to come second it's the only way it fits it's the only way it works and there's one more little treasure i want to point out to you guys in 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 colossians chapter 1 verse 10 and i just just quickly want to show you this because this is cool so he says since i heard we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay, that seems kind of funny because it's like, Paul, did you like forget what you just wrote? Because you already wrote that. He says, I'm praying that you would increase in the knowledge of God so that you could increase in the knowledge of God. That seems redundant, seems silly. Like, what were you thinking? Paul, it seems cyclical. It's not. It's very intentional. Do you know what's in the middle of knowing God and knowing God? Mission. Mission. 
Listen, vision leads to mission and mission leads to more vision. Mission has to start by knowing who God is and what he's done for you. And then when that activates your mission, you find more clarity through that than you ever had before. More dimensions of God's grace is opened up to you as you serve and as you walk in the calling that he's given you. My wife and I have been learning this firsthand. I'm a pastor, right, so, so I do all these things for the Lord, but at the same time, this is kind of my, my job. So Randy and I really wanted to step out of just things that we do at church and go do something in the community and do something that had nothing to do with work and nothing to do with the church, frankly, that we might be on mission for the lost. So we, we joined this, this program, we became CASAs, which is just this thing where we get to love on kids uh, that are in the system that have been pulled out of abusive homes and, and, and are going through, you know, this process. And, um, and you know what we've realized? We did it because what Jesus did for us. And because we did it, we're learning more about what Jesus did for us. We did it because of the gospel. And the gospel has been unpacked to us in a new light because we did it. It's so cool. This is how God designed you as Christians. That you would serve because what Jesus has done for you, and by serving you realize what Jesus has done for you. It's not cyclical, it's a spiral of sanctification. What that means is that if you only know what he did for you, but you're not doing anything about it, you're limiting your understanding of the knowledge of God. And Christianity, listen, begins and ends, well it doesn't end, but it begins and ends, with the knowledge of God. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you would know him. It starts with knowing God, and eternal life is knowing God. So my point in all of this is simply this, vision is knowing Jesus. If you don't have vision, you need to get to know him better. You don't need to go sit on a yoga mat with your legs crossed for three hours necessarily. You may need to have some hard conversations with your, your spouse or, or whoever and, and say, how do we order our life? But vision comes through knowing God. It's that simple. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And you can forget everything that I say, but just don't forget that. Someday, when your life feels absolutely chaotic, if, if that's right now, praise the Lord, and you feel like something's out of whack, I want you to remember this silly example. And I want you to think, am I trying to cram rocks into a jar with sand in it? <laughs> You gotta start over. You gotta start over. And watch as life finds its way into your mission in a way that fits perfectly. Jesus said what? My yoke is easy. If you are straining and straining and straining and straining to serve God, something's wrong. Does it take intentionality? Yes. But it should be a joy to serve God. It should be the greatest fulfillment in your life. Because it's done, because of what he's done for you and because it's teaching you what he's done for you. So I just wanna leave you guys with that. And I wanna echo Paul's prayer for our church. Lord, that we would have an understanding of your will through spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we might walk in a manner that is worthy of you, so that we might grow fruit, so that we might grow in the knowledge of God. That's my prayer for us this morning, that we might be people that aren't stressed out all the time, but are free because our priorities are right. It's okay to come home tired, but I want to be tired for a reason. Amen? Would you guys stand with me?
Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my life. God be our vision. And as we continue through the book of Colossians and we see Christ, your supremacy in all things, may we be made alive and our eyes open, maybe for the first time, to how we can serve you and how we can love you better. And God, may we know you starting now and going all into eternity because in you is fullness of joy. When we believe that, I speak that, Lord, into our lives. Christ, make much of yourself. 